so lovely to see you all again. I hope you've had a lovely week. I hope seeing me doesn't spoil it for you. Praise. You know, Mike, that T-shirt you're on, it's got, that got Superman on the front or something. Is that a Superman shirt? Oh, no. It's my eyesight. But you're definitely a Superman behind the shirt. So. <laughs> let's, just, let's just open in prayer. Father, we just love you. We thank you that you love us. I pray that miracles will happen and that supernatural events will overtake us and your glory will fill this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you can see, we are covering the Acts of the Apostles. And so far, we've, we're covering it by going through the different um, characters that you'll find in the Acts of the Apostles. And so far, we've done Peter, and then we did uh, Stephen, the deacon. Who else have we done? See if you've been listening. Who else have we talked about? Philip, that's right. So we've done those three. And I'm going to talk to you about Paul and his conversion. Now, you might have heard the expression, the Damascus Road. In fact, people use that phrase to, ex to use it as an illustration of when someone has had a sudden turning point in their lives. And in fact, what I'm going to be talking about is God's turning point for our lives. And maybe you need a turning point uh, in your life. It might be that you don't know God and you want to know God and then you need something from heaven to touch your life. And uh, maybe that's it. But it might be that you're a Christian, you've been a Christian a long time, and you just need you, a fresh start with him, or there'll be a turning point for another level, another expression, another direction, uh, another confirmation of his hand upon your life. But when we use this word, the, the Damascus Road, people have often used it as to explain a sudden turning point. And um, this sudden turning point and Paul's conversion, Paul was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus and his name was changed to Paul uh, the Apostle. And you'll find the story in Acts chapter 9, which we will have a look at in a minute. Um, and we find that in this story in Acts chapter 9, he, he has been a, an accomplice to already murdering Stephen. He goes to the authorities and asks for a permit to hunt down Christians and uh, to bring them to trial um, for questioning and... Um, possibly execution. And he's hunting the Christians down. They're called in those days the followers of the way. And he's on his way to Damascus because there must have been quite a large contingent of believers in Damascus, which is Syria, as you know. 
And um, on his way on the road to Damascus, out of nowhere, a light knocks him to the ground. Shaft of light just knocks him to the ground. And he hears God speak to him. And uh, the result of this is it leaves him blind and his part of people who are with him uh, pick him up and they take him to Damascus to a street called Straight, the house of Judas. I don't think it was Judas of Iscariot. It might have been Judas the Apostle. Uh, where he's blind and he doesn't eat for three days and three nights. In the meantime, we find that uh, there's a prophet there called Ananias. And out of nowhere, Ananias has a vision of Paul. And God speaks to Ananias and says, Saul of Tarsus is in Damascus on Straight Street, in Judas's house. Go there, lay hands on him, and pray for him to be healed and for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias has his reservations. He says, you know, he's come here to kill Christians. Nevertheless, he goes. Just like uh, God said to him, he lays hands on him, and he, his blindness goes immediately. And then he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And the amazing thing was, he then goes public with his faith. He starts to talk about Christ being the Messiah. He starts to debate with the very people that he was supposed to help to catch Christians, and um, he has a terrific impact to the point where the people that thought they were going to help him catch Christians now want to kill him. His life is under threat. So the Christians in Damascus say, we've got to smuggle him out. So they take him to a house which is on the city wall, it's built into the wall, and they lower him out of a window in a basket and they smuggle him to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, we find that um, the Christians don't want him there. They say, what is he doing? He's already killed Christians and uh, he, he's a plant. But there's a man there called Barnabas, which we hear quite a lot about, called, means son of encouragement. He stands up for him. And he says, you know, this man's life's under threat because he's been preaching the gospel. Give him a chance. And so they do. And likewise, he gets involved in the church. He starts to go to the very people that he asked for uh, permission to hunt down Christians and uh, he starts to talk about Christ and they want to kill him too. So the church in Jerusalem think we've got to, for his own safety, we've got to pull him out of here. So they pulled him out of there, took him to, Sumer to Caesarea 
And then from Caesarea, they sent him home to Tarsus. So that's the story. I'm going to read the scriptures. And from those scriptures, I want to just turn to a few thoughts that have, when I read these scriptures, they really had an impact on me as I was reading the scriptures. So if you have a Bible or a phone or whatever, turn to Acts chapter 9. I'm reading from uh, verses 1 to 15. It may be up here, but if you can't understand English, uh, read it in your own, your own uh, language. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 15. Then Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And they, he asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And he journeyed and came to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground. Verse 4. I've, I'm getting all my papers mixed up here. Verse 4. Then he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks or the goats in the new other translation. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but not seeing anyone. Then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate or drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Look, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he's praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard about many about this man, how much harm he has done to all your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer 
for my name's sake. And that's exactly what he did. And that's exactly what happened. Now, I just want to just take a few thoughts from these scriptures and apply them to our lives. And then we'll pray. The first verse that, I, that struck me when I, was, um, when I was looking at this passage was in verse 1. Then Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, asked for letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, so he, if he found any who were in the way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, I want, I want to pick on this thing that this man Saul, or later Paul, was a religious man. He was a man that had a deep respect for God. He had a, a strong religious values. He was faithful to what he believed in. Uh, he was very sincere. He was very committed. And so, in his sincerity and commitment, he wanted to kill other people. And I want to tell you that this is the problem with religion. Whether it's Buddhism, whether it's Hinduism, whether it's Islam, whether it's Christianity, whether it's Judaism, religion in itself behind it has a spirit of murder. Now, you won't go around killing people, although that's exactly what Buddhism, for example, Buddhism in Burma at the moment, they're hunting down the uh, Muslims, aren't they, at the, in the north there. Uh, whether it was Hinduism, uh, right as we speak, Hindus are burning alive Christians in northern India. Islamic terrorism or extremism, we know all about that. Atheism is a religion. It poses itself as, oh, we're, we're neutral. It's not. It's a religion. It's a religion that believes in annihilating any vestige or sense of God. And so you can go through them all, but you'll find a Judaism. You see Palestine and Israel right now at war with one another. And that's religion for you. And Paul was a religious man, and his religious convictions drove him to one who annihilate other people that didn't believe what he believed or thought like he thought. Now, God wants us to take away from us a religious spirit and replace it with a relationship with God. This church is not about a code of religion. This church is about helping people to have a connection with God, have a love for God, have a love for people, and declare the good news of Jesus Christ, to wash away people's sin, to give them eternal life, to fill them with the Holy Spirit, for God to use them, and for God to transform their lives. That's the message that Christians must pro proclaim. 
They are the values that we must adhere to. Just because people think differently to us, uh, practice their faith in a different way to us, uh, we are not called to destroy other people. We are called to declare Jesus Christ. We are called to create to declare the love of God on people. We are called to call all men to repentance. We are called to tell people about the eternal life and the blood of Christ that washes away from all sin. We are called to help people to find a connection to God. We are called to help people to become more like Jesus. Amen. So if you're a Christian... In your, you don't carry a religious spirit, you carry a relationship with God. And sometimes we cannot be a Christian and, and carry that love and grace of God unless um, embedded in us is that relationship and not a religious code. Sometimes our religious code can turn us into the very people we don't want to be. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. Let's have a look at this uh, next verse that really struck me. But you see, you can be sincere and you can be committed and you can be... Um, really focused on what you believe God is, wants to do, but you can be sincerely wrong. And how we deal with people, how we handle people, is critical. It's not sufficient to just have a message. It's the manner in which we speak to people. It's the manner in which we treat people. It's the manner in which we dialogue with people. We're not called to be aggressive. We're not called to be violent. We're called in love to speak the truth with grace, humility, respect, and conviction. Amen. Okay. Um, but this man, Paul, was, was, was bound up with this religious spirit. He's very committed um, Jew. But it says, as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus. And this is what struck me in verse 3. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. We're talking about turning points. Number one. For God to turn people's life around, he has to break our religious spirit. Whether, whether we're an atheist or a believer of some God or another, he has to break that religious, rigid thing that makes us antagonistic and aggressive. God cannot use you uh, in the power of God without the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so number one, he, he, he has to deal with our mindset, our attitudes, our intents. Uh, so our motivation is full of the love of God. Number two, here... The, for a turning point to happen for you and for me. And I'm sure many of you here have experienced this. I certainly did. It says here, 
suddenly a light shone to him down from heaven. And you know, it isn't just that people need to hear the gospel. You can talk till the cows come home to people and they won't pick up what you're trying to say or they'll have a very confused impression. We need to pray that as we're talking to people about God, that, we, that God will shine a light from heaven. That the light of the glorious gospel of Christ will shine in their hearts. This man, Paul, he's on the road. He's got a clear mandate. He understands exactly what he wants to do. He's out to destroy what he believes is wrong. And he's going for it. And uh, he's got a fixed attitude. He might have an angry spirit. He's certainly got a confused theology. And uh, he's set in his ways. And then a, a light from heaven comes. And I don't know about you, but certainly for me, when I became Christian, I couldn't understand what Christians were saying. I couldn't read the Bible properly and understand. I hadn't got a clue what it meant. And uh, I had uh, a lot of bitterness in my heart. I was angry against God. I had a lot of unforgiveness. Uh, I had all sorts of things operating inside of me that were far bigger than me. I was at a meeting that I didn't want to be at. Um, and the light of God just shone from heaven on me. And you know, as God works in our lives, you know, if you want to find God, for example, or you're praying for your children to find God, or you're praying for relatives to find God, or your work colleagues to find God, or your community to be changed, start to pray that a light will shine from heaven. Start to pray for Boris Johnson that a light will shine from heaven. Start to pray for the, 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 not the, the queen's already a believer, but start to pray for her family that the light will shine from heaven. Start to pray for some of these people that we see in high-profile situations that are having enormous in, in, impact on people's lives, that upon them the light of God would shine from heaven. P, uh, uh, media executives that are putting on anti-God and editors of newspapers and various things like that and political parties. Ask God for the light to shine from heaven. Amen. The reason I'm a Christian wasn't, wasn't just because of what people said, but a light shone from heaven. And I've noticed, you know, when I've had turning points in my life and points in my life where there was a different season or a different chapter, um, and I'm reading the Bible or I'm in a meeting or, or, or we're just talking at home, and all of a sudden a light shines from heaven and says, this is the way, this is what to do next. 
This is what I've called you for. This is my present word for you. We all need to be people that have a light that shines from heaven. Amen. Just say this after me. Dear Lord, let the light of the glorious gospel of Christ shine upon me today. Amen. That God is going to move and you're going to see something. In your understanding, it'll click. This one um, spoke to me as well in verse 4. Then he fell to the ground. <laughs> you know, sometimes before God can use us, He has to take us down before he takes us up. He's not just interested in saving our souls to go to heaven. He wants to change our character. He wants to touch areas of our lives that need to be changed. He wants to bring us face-to-face with issues that we need to deal with that are not allowing God to move deeper in our lives. And so, therefore, he often takes us down before he takes us up. You know, you know this in in your life sometimes, that before you've had those moments where God takes you up, They've often been preceded by seasons where he's taking you down. It may well be that you're going through a time where you feel as if, you, you know, everything's going wrong or not according to plan or you're not sure what's happening next. Uh, you, you know, it, I remember when I first made a move to God, I was very disappointed because I thought that when I gave my life to Jesus, I'd become happier. And I used to sing that day, oh, happy day, oh, happy day. And I used to think, I'm not happy at all. In fact, since I became a Christian, things have got worse. Have you ever had an experience like that where you became a Christian you, And things got worse. You made a move to God and then things got worse. Things get worse in God before things get better. God takes people down before he takes people up. You know why? Because we often think our problems are this, 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 and this. But God looks deep into our lives, deep into our heart, and he knows actually that needs sorting, that needs sorting, that needs sorting, and that needs sorting. And like pride, you see, you might be thinking, oh, well, I want to live in the joy of the Lord, but maybe... Maybe you've got unforgiveness in your life. So God's thinking, 
you know what, what, what sort of set of circumstances can we put Dave Latham in to sort that unforgiveness out? Or that deep-rooted bitterness? Or that area of his dodgy character? I've got, we've got to sort that out because when we take him further, he won't make it. Pride is another one, isn't it? With Paul, it was probably an unteachable spirit. You see, his religious background and his training and his education and his theology, theological prowess probably made him very, I know better than everybody else. To use this man's soul in the powerful way that God was planning to do, he used to, I need to bring him down before I take him up. You think, why are you doing this to me, Lord? I'll tell you what, he's taking you down because he's going to take you up. I planted my um, daffodils in, in, in early November, and they just sat in the ground and rotted for nearly three to four months, at least. Now, those poor little daffodil bulbs thought, what's that Dave Latham doing to me, planting me in this mud? Come spring, what was planted down sprang up with greater beauty, greater majesty, greater glory. And that's what God does with us. Don't be worried about the seasons where God takes you down because it's a good sign. It's a sign that God's not left you. It's a sign that God's working on you for his glory. It's a sign that God has got new, fresh plans for your life. That's why you're getting taken down because he knows that where you are at the moment will not be sufficient for the next phase ahead. I wonder if the Lord's allowing you to go through stuff now. Well, this is the reason. He's got glory for you. Amen. He's got joy for you. He's got peace for you. He's got power for you. Greater things are on their way. Amen. Uh, this other verse uh, struck me as I was reading this, this passage. And uh, it was verse 5 where it says, he says, well, who are you? Who's this? Who's this? Who's this doing this to me? Who's this talking to me? He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, and it is hard for you to kick against the goads or the pricks in the, um, in the AV. Now, when God's dealing with our lives at root level and at foundation level, we don't like it. And some of us fight and resist God. Classic is Jacob in the Old Testament. God had to have a fight with him and break his leg. And crippled Jacob achieved more than Jacob the athlete. 
You know, make things easy for yourself by not resisting God. If you're afraid, just say, God, I'm afraid. If you don't want to do something, just say, God, I don't want to do this because I'm afraid or I don't have enough faith for that. Will you help me? But stop resisting. We, we resist God. We can go to services, you know, and you think, oh, this is a great service. And then you go to one service and they start talking about something you don't really want to like to hear. They're, they're touching on a nerve. I've been in meetings when I was a young Christian where I wanted to run out the, I wanted to run out the meeting because I was under conviction. God was calling me, and I didn't want to be called. I wanted to do my job. I, wanted, I had an ambition. I had a goal. I had everything. And God said, I, I want you to give it all up. I didn't want to hear that. And God sometimes speaks to us, and we don't want to hear what he wants to say. But, you know, he, he, his intention is love. His intention is to do wonderful things in your life, but he will get down to honesty and reality and things in your life you don't want to hear and ask you to do things that you don't want to do and say things you don't want to say. Uh, uh, but, you know, don't resist God. This is what he's saying. Why are you resisting me? It must be hard for you to kick against this. And, you know... When God's speaking to you, he'll speak to you and, you, and your conscience will be pumping like your heart. And you've got to listen to it. It's very difficult to violate your conscience. It's difficult to resist God when he's speaking to you. And, and some of the things he, I don't mind, you know, some of us don't mind him saying, I love you, Dave Latham. I, I think you're the most wonderful person. And, uh, oh, I love all that. And then, then one day he says, Dave Latham, you need sorting out. Oh, I don't want to hear that. Yeah. And that's what he'll do to you. But he's working his purposes out. That's why it isn't all fun. who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Amen. It'll be fun in the end. Amen. Go and say to somebody, it'll be fun in the end. But right now, God's dealing with your heart and my heart because he loves you. He doesn't brush things under the carpet and pretend everything's all right when it really isn't. Amen. And some of us, you know, we go to God and we think, we think he doesn't know, you know. Hi, it's me. But he knows you better than you know yourself. This other verse spoke to me too. And they led him by the hand and brought him into, a Damas into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drink. 
So he had three days blind, no food, and no water. Three days. Interesting that. Three is the number of resurrection. And sometimes when we go through these times, it's only for a season. Amen. Say that. It's only for a season. We must remember that. It's only for a season. He doesn't want you to have a lifetime of misery, but he will allow you to be, um, he will allow you to go through things, but it will be for a season. He might take you through the valley of the shadow of death, but that's exactly what he'll do. He'll take you through it. He won't leave you in it. Have you been through the valley of the shadow of death? Well, I want to tell you, he's not going to leave you in it. And no temptation which has taken you will be beyond what you're able to take. But he will take you through it. Amen. Are you going through it? Well, he's going to take you through it. It's not going to be forever. Tears are but for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen. And you might have, there are people here, I know there's people going through difficult times, and maybe you shed tears, but God will dry those tears, and God will take you through, and God will take you on. Don't resist him. It's the dark, what Tozer calls the dark night of the soul. Amen. It's essential because if you don't go through these seasons, you will always be quite shallow and you won't be able to be equipped to help people who are going through a lot of pain because you've never gone through it yourself. You know, Jesus was touched, was in all points tempted, and he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus knew what it was to weep. Jesus knew what it was to feel pain. Jesus knew what it was for what you're going through right now. Jesus intercedes on your behalf because he knows what it's like to be human. Amen. Isn't it wonderful to have a savior like that and not a religious icon that lives on the mantelpiece? Listen to this, verse 11. And the Lord said to Ananias, or him, that which is Ananias, Arise, go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judah, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he's praying. Put your hand on him, and he'll receive his sight. Now, 
You know when we're going through stuff, don't be surprised if you meet an angel. God sends angels to his people when they're going through stuff. Now the angel can take the form of an angel. But the word angel means messenger. And God's got his people positioned to come and be with you in your pain, in the pressure, in the difficulty. I, one of the most wonderful times I felt a human being was like an angel to us, me and Sue, was actually a Muslim. We were stuck in Nairobi airport for, was it 36 hours, maybe more? It was definitely a day and a night in the deep in a terrible, difficult situation. And as we were walking around, this Muslim came, helped us. And we always look back and say, this, that man was like an angel. Angels. I've had situations where literally, I think angels have helped me. Literal angels. God sent Ananias. God's going to send someone to you. He moves in three ways. He moves by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Christ, and he has his messengers. Amen. Barnabas was like an angel to Paul when he went to Jerusalem because nobody wanted him in that church. Isn't it wonderful? Just think. If I, I was to say, Paul, let's pause for one minute and just let's do it. And just think of all the people God sent in your life that's lifted you. Go on. Amen. And here's a word for you. God is going to send more. You might be sitting right next to them right now. Isn't God good? Aren't you glad he loves you? Let's say this together. God's on my side. God's on my side. Amen. Okay, let's have a look at this. This struck me as well. Verse 15. But the Lord said to him, this is to Ananias, about Paul or Saul, go, he's a chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer. So he tells this man, Ananias, look, this man you're going to pray for, I've got a plan. I've got a plan for him. God's got a plan for you. Yeah, and it isn't just that you go into heaven when you die or he's going to wash your sins away, which actually I personally think is the most important thing. But really, he's got a bigger plan than that. 
you do not know Jesus as your Savior, ask him to come into your life now and to wash away your sin and give you eternal life. But that's not just what God's got. God's got bigger plans for you. All this stuff about going through stuff is because he's got a plan. Now, in Galatians chapter 1, Paul gives his testimony. And he says this when he's referring to his testimony in Galatians 1.15. It says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That was the plan God had for Paul. I believe it's the plan God's got for you. Let's have a look at it. Separated me from my mother's womb before you were born God looked at you and loved you and thought I've got a plan for her I've got a plan for him I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to start that plan in the womb that's why the issue of abortion is critical because very often God is already at work in unborn babies. In fact, all unborn babies. Amen. He separated me from my mother's womb with a plan. Amen. When you were getting born, before you were getting born, God said, there's a plan for, I've got a plan for Barbara. I've got a plan for Diana. I've got a plan for Sue. I've got a plan for Anne. And you hadn't even been born. Isn't that great? You know, let God work out his plan. Don't resist God. Hold on to him when you can't see the way forward. Ask him to shed light on your path. And call me through his grace. You know, as you go, open your heart. Just open your heart to God. Keep it open. Keep it open. It's not just when you get saved. Keep your heart open, and he'll give you callings. He'll give you fresh callings. You'll be going doing this, doing that, and doing the other. And then all of a sudden, you say, hang on. Come over here. All of a sudden, you'll find yourself in a very impossible situation, and... God will say, step forward. And as you step forward, the Red Sea opens. But usually the Red Sea doesn't open until you make that first step. Called me. He called me. Why are you doing what you're doing? Ask for God calling on things. Don't get stuck into stuff that you're not supposed to do. Find out what God, what it is God, God has made you. 
what, what inspires you, what serves the needs of others, and all of a sudden God will give you a call, call you. Dave, Sue, Anne, Frank, Tony, this is what you should be doing. Amen. And then it says, call me through his grace to reveal his son in me. So before I was born and before you was born, God had called you to reveal Jesus in you. Called you to look like, to, to speak like Jesus, to, to behave like Jesus, to move like Jesus. Just, when he saw me in the womb, he thought, as his first calling, your first calling is not what you do for God. It, your first calling, really, is that he, he's calling you because he's conforming you to be like Jesus. Amen. And preach him among the Gentiles. God wants to use you to communicate God to other people. So God use, and he'll use us all in different ways. It might not be in, you know, like I'm doing now. But you might be a fantastic gossip. A fantastic gossip for God. You know, you talk, you're at the bus stop and you say, Whoa. and the fellow's saying, oh, it's raining again. And then you say, oh, you know, I don't know. You might be one of these ones and talk about a lamppost. And before you know where they are, that people want to be saved. Yeah. I've got friends like that, you know. They only have to open the mouth and people are saying, can I become a Christian? Or I remember a friend, my Elsie West, who was implement, uh, it was partly the reason I became a Christian. I remember went and going to visit her when I was spiritually nowhere. And she, as I was walking up to her house, she was that, well, I saw her walking down the road with a hoover. When she came back, I said, I knocked at your door, but you had the hoover. He said, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to hoover all my neighbors' houses. I know somebody else who, very shy, didn't like to talk to people because she's just shy, you know. Called Eleanor. But Eleanor never missed a birthday. Eleanor wrote to everybody that entered the church a letter of kindness, of love, a reassurance. And then there was Emily. He used to serve tea, but when you used to keep get tea off Emily, you felt it was served to you by Jesus. What you call him? I made known some wonderful wonderful Christians who are in heaven now, and I will see them. God loves you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. If you do not know Jesus right now, just ask him to come into your life. Just say, God, will you come to me? I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God. 
Ask him to wash away your sin. If you're struggling with guilt, if you can't get the memories of the past out of the way, say, God, will you wash away my sin? Give me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. If you're afraid that if you died, you wouldn't go to heaven, say to God right now, God, will you give me eternal life? Because of the blood of Jesus. Maybe you're reaching a turning point as a Christian and you're going through very difficult times right now. Just say, Lord, help me to know that this is not going to be forever. Will you take hold of my hand? And help me to walk through this. And then all of us need to pray, Lord, will you make me more like Jesus? Show me what to do. Help me to do it. Dear Lord, we thank you, dear Lord, that you love us. We thank you that you died on the cross for us. We believe in your son, Jesus. We ask you for more of the Holy Spirit. We ask that the blood of Jesus that will cleanse us from all sin. We ask you, Lord, to, uh, that your plan will be released in our lives. I pray for those people that are going through very difficult times right now, that you'll show them what to do, that you'll help them not to be afraid and, to not, re and, and to not to resist your word, even though it's a difficult word to do. I show them what to do. Help them to do it. And Father, I pray that with this church and in our lives that you'll mightily move. We pray for our government. We pray for Boris Johnson. We pray for the world we live in. We pray for the powers and principalities, Lord, and the people that are strongholds. Lord, that your grace will shine the light of the Lord Jesus Christ upon them and that they will know that you're the living God, and they will become instruments of your will. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, um, it all, what I would say, um, to allow the Lord to continue to work in our lives, yours and mine, We've just got to keep surrendering to God. Amen. That's the secret. Keep surrendering to God. Don't rely on the surrender that you did last week, last year, or last decade. God, just say to God, as it was in the beginning, so it is now. As you became Lord of my life then, you're Lord of my life now. I make you Lord of my life now. I surrender my life to you. Let's stand and worship the Lord and seal this as we sing. Sing it as a prayer. Sing it unto the Lord. Praise God. If you've got your masks on, you can sing with all your heart. After all, all I can. Praise God. For Jesus. Let's stand. There'll be offering baskets at the back if you wish to give.